Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja, Three Protectors, and The Upcoming Animals. And we are back here with another episode, and with another episode comes another beer, my friend. So what are we drinking yeah. today? Hey, we're, we're actually being like total old school adventurous here. Because this is a beer I got from Tav- Tavor. It's not even the kind of beer I usually like. So this bad boy is called Nordic Noir. It is a Baltic porter. It is from Cerebral Brewing. And here are its here are its grists. I guess that's what people put on beer cans now. It's like I know I know people think we're beer snobs, but like I don't know what any of this shit means. <laughs> like this is you know, time in oak, two weeks. Time in stainless, five weeks. Oak type, American oak fodder. Grist, Pilsner, Munich, Black Malt, Chocolate Rye, Crystal, Oats, Dem- Demera- Demerara Sugar. Hops, Cashmere. So <laughs> Dems are our sugars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how the, how the fuck is an ingredient? How is a grist Munich? Like, what does that even mean? Is it like, is it like, no it's like city... Like they they wipe up dust and concrete from the city of Munich and they put it in the fucking beer. I don't even know. Anyway, it is so the it's sweat and tears. I don't even know what this. <laughs> that's not right. That's not the right accent. That was Russian and that was fantastic. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. It is the sweat and tears of Munich. I I speak from Munich. All right. Uh. So yeah. Uh. And it's nine point eight percent. That's the most. Oh, important there we part. go. That's the most important part. So uh, how about you, man? How how is that? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's it's like a stout. But porters and stouts, I don't know much of a different ex- difference except porters are a little like lighter drinking. Um so yeah, this is it's like a stout, but there's more of like a almost kind of after sour thing going on. And oh. I think I think part of that is the oak and the fact that it's a stout, if I remember, right. or Munich. sorry, that it's a porter. Yeah, it's 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 got to be the grime from Munich streets. Yeah, that's, that's what, what makes it a little. <laughs> so yeah, Munich's a little sour. Apparently, who knew? It's a sweat. <laughs> Why you make fun of my sour town? <laughs> All right. Anyway, people from Russia and Germany probably want to beat the shit out of right. us right now. <laughs> um, okay, so I got high water brewing. Uh, break apart orange cream ale. It is ale oh. brewed with cacao nib and orange peel. And this bad boy is only a 5.4, 16 ounces. And um, I actually had this at Free Comic Book Day. This, yeah. This was after the Madam. And so I don't remember the flavors as well because, as we know, Madam is very strong. And it was the first mm-hmm. first uh, thing I consumed that day. So it hit hard. Um, yeah, and and what a feeling it was. So uh, let me let yeah. me get a taste of this oat cream ale. Or excuse me, orange cream ale here. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. I believe I tasted it, and it was pretty good. It is. It's good. Um, you get the orange straight away. You get you get the cream on the aftertaste, and uh, it's not overwhelming. So it's not an overly sweet beer, but it is definitely there. Um, all right, I like it. Yeah, so far it's all right. We'll we'll see by the bottom of the can. Yeah, yeah, All for right. sure. For okay, sure. so we got the beers out of the way, my friend. What is the first thing you did this week? Should we talk about Free Comic Book Day first? I yeah, feel like let's do that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, um, I, I think top line for me, 
free comic book day. You know, this is what the this is the third time, possibly the fourth, I've done free comic book day at SoCal Comics. I know you you have a few more under your belt than me, um, but it I think was, this is the hey, third together. I think this is the third at at SoCal. Okay, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just whether you've done more. I think you've done a couple more than I have. Yeah, like five, I think. So yeah, hey, Mama cooked a breakfast with no hog. I didn't even have to use my AK. The day was a good day. The Lakers beat the Supersonics. Right. Like it was it was a for me, it was a wonderful sales day. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I remember. So so free comic book day technically started at 10 a.m. And I remember at 10, 10 in the morning, just looking around and thinking to myself, I might not make a single sale today. That was what I thought to myself. And I was like, whatever. I'm here. It's like crisp and sunny, you know, at the time. Yeah, I think at the time it was like on and off sun and it was a high of like 68. It was like that perfect San Diego day. Mm-hmm. And of course, we had our our tents up. We did have a pretty good position. We were uh, right across from the store itself. So whenever people walked out of the store, they were staring smack at the Accidental Aliens booth, um, you know, the multi booth that you guys had and then my booth. And um, man, it just kept coming. It was just sale after sale. It did not let up. Um, I, you know, I looked up my my numbers, and when I did this last time, I also had a great first hour, and then like not a single sale after that, and that was okay because I had had an amazing first hour on zero overhead, and I'm driving a little bit of distance to come hang out with my buddy and drink beers all day in the, you know, in the in the shade on a lovely, lovely San Diego day with a whole lot of comic fans. What what's better than that, you know? But but then the sales just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and I would say in terms of single days. This was a top 10 single day I've ever had at any convention, pop-up, anything or otherwise. And so I was thrilled. And it was like, man, it was 95% comics, which is even better. You know, not not many prints, if any, sold. Maybe a couple, like, trading cards and stuff. But yeah, man, it mm-hmm. was it was perfect. It was just perfect. Yeah, you know? I sold one for, you, one for you. You were talking to uh, Chris Mowry, and I just walked over and handed you 10 bucks. And you're all, what is this? And it's like, I sold a card. So yeah, even when you weren't there, you were selling. So yeah, you had a killer day, um, like a very profitable day compared to other shows we've done. Um, yeah, and especially with that, you know the the overhead, the no overhead. Yeah, um, I had a good day myself. It wasn't as good as yours, but hey, I got nothing to complain about. Like you said, um, it's buddies hanging out, we're chilling out, talking comics, talking nerd shit, and drinking beers all day. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I definitely made my nut the day and, and it was, uh, it was awesome. So no complaints. SoCal again, thank you again for hosting us. Um, they're just such an amazing, amazing comic shop. Uh, like it's so hard to beat, especially in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. They're they're I feel like they're a great cultural institution there as far as comic book shops go. Um, but yeah, I mean, Scott, Scott makes a great point that if I'd have had Scott sales day, I'd have been thrilled. And I, I've given this example a long time ago on the podcast, uh, the, the analogy about me bowling. Um, when I bowl, I bowl somewhere between a 105 and a 115. So I'm not, I'm not terrible. I'm not, I'm not laughable, but I'm not good. You know, um, I went bowling a couple weeks ago with some friends and actually somehow had the, somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> And I also somehow got the high bowling score of the day of the group, which is like a 146, which is really good for me. Um, I, I've, I, I've, I have given this story before. 
that might be the the second highest bowling score I've ever had. My highest bowling score is a 230. Oh, wow. I, I have no fucking idea how I did it. I mean, if I did, then I'd have done it again. It was just like, I just... You know, it's like the the guy in Caddyshack where he's making every putt before he gets struck by lightning. Like that's that's what it was like, um, and that's kind of what my sales day was on Saturday, right? It was like I expected a good sales day. I'd have been happy with a good sales day, but somehow I got this amazing, amazing sales day. And uh, yeah, like you said, I, I told you that my my profit for the day was was bigger than my profit at. Amazing Las Vegas, yeah. which was a very good show, you know, and, and it took me five hours to do it here at Free Comic Book Day, and it took me a whole weekend to do it at Las Vegas. So, hey, you just enjoy it while it's there and uh, and understand that they may not always be like this. Um, so you appreciate it while, it while it happens, but you also try to figure out if there's anything there that allows you to make this something closer to the norm going forward. So, yeah, man, it was a it was a fantastic day. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's hard to say, though, because it's not like we do, uh, well, you've done Vegas a few shows in a row, right? A few years in a row, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that was my first. So I think um, it's just a matter of having the right people there and the right people and the right eyes on you. You know, like when you do something like Free Comic Book Day, there's really less competition for the fans that do show up. So it's just like, hey, I did, I did great numbers. I beat. I think I beat, um, or if not tied, the same amount. No, no, I beat the first day at at Amazing Las Vegas. Um, yeah. So hey, it's like you know, in a matter of five hours, like you said, and we're not traveling to a different state. There's no not this crazy overhead that we we got going on. And hey, it's in my town, so it's like not not much gas at all to get there. So it's like hey, it's a yeah. win. So no complaints. Yeah. Um, but I think for you, it's. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of the same. It's it's the having the people there that like number one, like you said, the position of the booth. You know, if people are coming out of the store, um, they run straight into us. You know, and like for the accidental aliens, we have like a long table. It was like three tables, you, you know, connected, and just a row of mm-hmm. artists where you were separated and you had a smaller table with your wares. And I think yeah. that was kind of like it kind of gave you a spotlight almost, you know. And it's just like with yeah. our tables connected, it, you kind of get lost in the weeds of that. Um, mm-hmm. So like that's a benefit. And then plus, you know, you're not always down in at SoCal Comics when they have events. Like, me and my group, we go pretty much any time they have an event, we're there. So if there are people that are coming back, they've seen us before, they've picked up our books before, so, you know, they'll come by and they'll pick up. And, like, that was the case where one one, uh, fan specifically, him and his son, you know, they come every year and they pick up our stuff. And so he grabbed everything that was new that we had, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, I did the warm handoff with you, and he didn't have any of your stuff. So he ended up buying everything. Yes. So it's just yes. it's just one of those things where hey, if, if I was if I was brand new to him, he, he, I probably would have got more sales out of him, but he had the majority totally. of my stuff. So it, it's just things yeah. like that. You meet the right fans, those good fans that are into indie comics and that love supporting and and boom, you got you got some sales on your hand. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, that a, a lot of people stopped and there were a lot of people that I was a fresh face to and they liked what they saw. But because I like trying to take lessons from this stuff, too, I think I think some good lessons are to be had there, are, are to be had here. And, and for me, they're nothing but a redoubling of the stuff, I think. But that's still good. You know, for you to get reinforcement on ideas you think are good is very valuable when it comes to 
running your own table and getting out there and selling your stuff. And so, number one, it makes me happy with my signage. You know, I have these table runners at my table that are a very quick pitch on my two books. They're the, essentially the elevator pitch. And they serve as a, as a silent pitch for my stuff that I don't have to do. So that was one thing. I'm pleased with how I've set up my table. I'm pleased with my signage. I'm pleased that I am streamlining it to the point where it's almost all books now. Um, and then the other thing I think is that it's worth noting that our... Our new slightly more aggressive way of talking to people is working, you know, and it's it's helpful. I mean, when I'm next to you now and, and you know, as far as I can think, most of the shows that we do, we're together now, if not splitting a table. And, you know, it'll be a little different once we have a table again um, and we're splitting it because when we split the table, I think there becomes this urgency to try to understand where the where the fan is looking first, right? Because we're going to sell you all of our books, but I like knowing where you're looking because I'm going to lead with that, you know? But when we have separate tables, it's quite easy because now you're just looking at my stuff in general. But I think the warm handoff works really well. And I think it's also worth noting that, you know, talking to people a little earlier in the process, a little earlier in the whole exchange is very helpful. You know, when when I table next to you, a little thing that goes in the back of my head is if I don't ask this person, you know, the, are you interested in comics? Can I tell you about my books question? Scott's going to, you know, and, uh, and so it's a very, very friendly, healthy kind of competition where it's like you being there motivates me to just get a touch more assertive, in, in talking to that fan. Yeah, you know, we've talked about that on the pod before, and actually it was free comic book day the previous year, and we were talking about the process on how we like to do it. You know, um, you know, your approach before was kind of lay back in the weeds, just kind of let them look, yeah. and like if they stay stare a little bit longer then that's when you approach them so i'm glad i'm glad me being there um kind of motivates you to do it a little more because you know i'm just going to go for it and yeah you know and that that's the difference between being passive um and being you know i think i think aggressive is is not the best word because we're not yeah we're not like carnival barkers we're not like Hey, come over here. Hey, you like these comics? Like, that's not what we're doing. Holla, 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 holla. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're we're starting conversations and having those lead into uh, potential sales. You know, it's just, it's as simple as, hey, how's it going? You know, like I see someone walking by. If they glance over in my direction, I'll give them a a very kind, hey, how's it going? And a lot of times it's enough to get them to stop and they respond to you. And then that's, you can ask the follow-up question, which is, yep. Are you into comics? And then yeah, that gets comics. them to come over. So it's very simple. Yep. And if they say no, hey, no big deal. What are you here for? Oh, I'm here for the exactly. art. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, hey, I have some prints and, you know, and then so if they come, they come. If they don't, no big deal. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it's just all a matter of kind of uh, just understanding situations. You know, like yes. you talk to enough people like Keith and I were people, people like, you know, we, we talk to people all the time, constantly. So we're just, you know, I'd like to think that we're pretty good at reading people in general. So, um, you know, you just fill it out and you go from there. So, um, you know, leads to more sales and leads to better days. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. No, I think, I mean, I, I, it's like I'm 100 in red with, with everything that you're saying. Um, and yeah, it's, it's. They're like, okay, 
we talk about this because it's it's important to understand how much selling you are going to have to do. This is something, I mean, I'm not going to make this an actual thing that I did last week, but I did it yesterday, actually. I went to uh, the Orange County School of the Arts and talked to the comic book writing conservatory about writing comics. Oh, and cool. Something, yeah. I mean, I ended up casually mentioning the podcast a few times, and of course, in the process of that, people asked uh, asked me questions about the podcast. You know, oh, so right it became on. like, cool. oh yeah, yeah, blah blah blah. Podcast this. How do you get visibility for your podcast? How do you do this? You know, so it was it was kind of fun to open that that jar a little bit. But I tell them, you know, a lot of st- everything that people have heard on the podcast here, kind of like greatest hits. You know, like. I would love to just sit in a room and do nothing but create, but like that is not how it works. Maybe there'll be some day where you have publicists and all that stuff that are doing all that work for you. But now here in the indie world, that's that's on you, you know? And if anything, whatever calibration you're doing in terms of promotion versus creating, you know, Andy Belanger's number of 50-50 sounds about right. You know, and and that was something he just kind of casually dropped out there. Like, I used to spend most of my time making books, but now it's more like 50-50 between making them and promoting them. And there's nothing wrong with that. And speaking of, Andy actually has Kickstarter going on right now. Um, I've already backed it. So Mother Mother Trucker 3. Um, it is available, and he has uh, all the issues available as add-ons. I don't know if he has a... I'm sure he has a tier with all three, but they're definitely in the add-on section. So um, go check that out. Mother Trucker, it is on kickstarter.com. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good book. He's, he's an amazing artist, and you'll see those beautiful, beautiful lines that he throws down there for sure. Yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, so yeah, man, I mean, that was kind of the first thing. I know we both did it, but feel free to just go into your first thing from there. Okay. Um, I actually finished a couple of panels for Paradise Hills. So the Kickstarter has been finished as of May 1st, and honestly, the last couple of days is has been, you know, as of this recording, it's the 11th. Um, so I would say around the 9th, I was finally able to really feel like I'm getting back in the flow. So even though we've recorded some episodes since then, and I've mentioned that I have done a couple of panels, I was not feeling it. It was like, yeah. it felt like work. I was forcing myself to do it. It was like, I was dragging my feet. It was like nails on the chalkboard, like how I felt about it. Um, I think yeah. the panels came out great that I had done, but just to get to the finish line was was a struggle. Um, I will say for the last couple of days, things have been flowing and they've been flowing nicely. And it was one of those things where I had to power through to get there. I had started doing, oh, actually, that'll be my second thing. I won't talk about that. But um, yeah, so doing the panels to Paradise Hills, um, they've just been flowing, man. Like, I'm just like, yeah, this yeah. feels great again. This feels right. Like, I don't know what it was about doing that Kickstarter. It just completely flattened my creative juices, but they are flowing again and it feels great. And I'm loving uh, the panel work that I'm doing on Paradise Hills. It flattened your creative juices. Your juices got flattened. It did. It was like, it was like. That's a, some new shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing some new shit down. My juices, my juices are flat as fuck. Dude, it was a Capri Sun <laughs> under a mag truck. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you said something that I think is interesting there because the Animals Kickstarter, as we record this, I guess it just ended two days ago. Maybe no, one day ago. It ended yesterday. I mean, it feels like two or it feels like nine or it feels like it's still going on. I just have no uh, concept of time, you know, that's, because that's how I'm much still work in. 
that's how much work you're putting into it, you know? So much. Yeah, yeah. So much. And and it's not look, the work is there. I put in my amount of work and I feel good. But it's the worrying of it. It's the constantly checking your Kickstarter. You know, like Scott, when when we had this conversation, this semi-infamous conversation on the way to Vegas, where we were talking about how you and I just handle Kickstarters differently. There was a point where I hit a certain dollar amount on the animals Kickstarter where I felt that I was comfortable just checking it over and over and over. Did like we I, talk about this I, on the air? I don't think we... No, no. We talked about it in the car on the way to Vegas. Okay. So I, so clue the fans in here what we're talking about exactly. Oh, sure. So, uh, yeah, we had a fascinating like kind of... It's not a meeting of the minds. It was like a, a divergence of the minds on how different Scott and I handle doing the work, doing the daily work through your Kickstarter. So in summary, Scott's way of doing it is he does the work in the morning and then he constantly checks the Kickstarter because he wants to see how he is doing. And if he is not doing well, then he is going to do more work and continue to go through the day like that. For me, you know, as as, as I have referenced a certain basketball team in the past that I refuse to talk about on this podcast. If you have any questions, why feel free to look up the date that we record this on May 11th and you'll know why I'm swearing off basketball for a few days. Um, it's about the process. So for me, it is... Trust the process, when, Keith. Trust the process, Keith. The series isn't over. The series isn't over, Scott. You know, like, this is what being a Philly fan is, though. This is... Eh, anyway basketball fuck <laughs> anyway um <laughs> i i i do the work so the way i do it is and i can't explain during what phase this is i think i have, may have an imaginary number in my head before i hit that imaginary number because i don't like obsessively compulsively checking my kickstarter i do the work and then i avoid the kickstarter on purpose and then at the end of the day I take a look at how the Kickstarter did. I take a look and see what backers I got. And then I also look up who they are. And I ask myself, do I know them? Do I know the process that may have led to this backer? And um, and if not, then I'm I'm left to guess. But, it, you know, you can also... I think this is helpful for people that are running Kickstarters. And I know a lot of our creators have either run Kickstarters or are going to run Kickstarters or both. If you run one, you're probably going to do another one. You... You're doing this, it's important to really look at your backers every day, you know, or even take stock at the end of the day. What backers did I get? What things happened today that could have driven that? And that's going to help you. You know, there there was one day, for example, where an interview of mine, I, I look, the two things that happened were an interview of mine dropped the podcast and... Like I was being interviewed. It was on a, a podcast called The Fortress of Comic News, and I had a spike in backers. Are those two things connected? I think they might be. You know, another day, um, Mike sent out a, a note to previous backers of a couple horror Kickstarters on Invader, and I got, and there were more backers there. So I think those things are connected. It's really important for you to understand, or at least note, you know, just take notes on what is happening every day, both in terms of what you're putting out to the world and then what you're getting back through the Kickstarter. So anyway, um, early on, there's a certain point where I just like doing the work and then checking at the end of the day. 
at a certain point, I ended up kind of doing what you do, and I just ended up checking all the time. And and I checked it with the idea of like, hey, I'm in a good mood right now. You know what'll make my mood even better? If I find out I got one more backer when I refresh this page. And then it happens, right? So I know we're kind of meandering into Kickstarter territory, and God knows we, we talk a lot about that, but running Kickstarters is an important part of being a person in indie comics, um, and running Kickstarters is a huge part of our lives, you know? So... More importantly, it sets up the fact that like it's it's such a mental drain on us. Um, did you want to talk about Kickstarters first before I actually get back to the point I was trying to make? Yeah. Okay, go for it. So how did that make you feel? Like so a large part of us talking about that process was how we feel about it. So for me, it was I check all the time. Because if I do all of the work and I, I, let's say I did Keith's process where I waited at the end of the day and I waited the whole day to see the fruits of my labor and there was no backers, it would make me feel so much worse because in my mind, like me personally, I will build it up, build it up, build it up thinking, oh man, I've made all the money. I made all the money the longer I wait. And Mm -hmm. so I, that's part of it that I don't like. So that's why I have to uh, constantly check it because it puts me at ease one way or another. And like Keith said, if no one has backed it, then I put more work in. And then if no one backs it at the end of the day, at least I know I did my due diligence because, Hey, I saw there was no movement. Let me make this extra effort and try to get some movement going. Um, So my question to you was, how did it make you feel to check it all the time compared to how you normally do it? Like, did it make you feel worse? Like when you checked it all the time, you're like, oh, there is no movement. Or did it make you feel good when you did see movement? I think I'll I'll, I'll split the difference and say it, it sort of had no effect. I think so much of it is about the mindset that I go in with. Um, so I think that the best way to answer that is that in my case, the more work I do, the less inclined I am to check. The less work I do, the more I am inclined to check because you're sort of hoping that previous work you did pays off, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing the work, then I'm fine not worrying about checking because I'm comfortable that I've done my work. I'm comfortable that I've checked my box. So in my case, Scott, if I got halfway through the day and then on these on these days where you know it's early in the campaign and I'm, I kind of have an imaginary goal in my head and stuff, if I'm looking at that, and I check it 2 p.m. and I see I haven't done anything and I'm like, fuck it, I got to do more. The thing I'm most likely to do is roll tomorrow's work into today. Because I've done today's work. I've done it. I've done everything I was supposed to do. And what I don't want to do is roll tomorrow's work into today. You know, I don't I don't want to rush to get ahead of it. You know what I mean? Like, because people have lives. You know, that's that's the thing I keep on coming back to. Like, people have lives and... You know, look, I I don't sit in front of other people's Kickstarters and just wait to back them. I don't, you know, like I back them whenever the fuck I want, you know, and, and a lot of times that's that's going to be after work or it's going to be, you know, for some people it's their lunch break, whatever it is. So I think it's a long winded way of saying it's kind of negligible. It's still always about the mind state I'm in. And my preferred thing is always just going to be if I have the work to do, do the work and then check later because I'm comfortable with the work I've done. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, right. again, it's it's personal preference, right? I, I totally get the way you do it. And I, and I'm sure you, you know, it, it was fun because we were like, wow, we're just, we just sort of think differently, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a wrong way to do it here. No, but I wanted to, not. I actually wanted, yeah, I wanted to bring this back to a, a main point 
which was you talked about how the first day you do, did panels after the Kickstarter, it was a grind. You were sort of, you didn't feel it, but you did it anyway. And that is exactly, again, not one of the things I was going to talk about this week, but is exactly how my writing felt today. Because today was the first day that I actually gave myself a writing goal because the Kickstarter is over. And it was a slog, man. I punched through it. Like, it was not easy, but I'm happy I did it. And the fact that you said it opened up and you're flowing now, I sort of believe that that there's a lot of that. You know, I, I think that when you're coming back out of this, of something that's taking up a lot of your time, whether it's a Kickstarter or a promotional push or anything like that, I think I think the first day back might be a slog more often than not. But you need to have the slog so that the next day or two it starts to open up and before you know it you're back into your usual flow again i mean you and i both disrupt our creative rhythm to do this and it's a worthwhile thing to do but it also disrupts your creative rhythm and it's it's shaking off the rust i think in a lot of ways so i just wanted to mention that because the way you felt in your first day coming back is exactly how i felt today which was my first day coming back yeah it's like you have these uh floodgates that you've shoved closed and uh in the time that those those gates are closed there's just debris branches whatever schmutch like just building up in front of the gates and it's going to take a while to get those gates open you can't just crack them open and think it's gonna you know work all nice and smooth like it's like no you got to get that debris out of there get it out of the way once that's clear then the gates start flowing and and that water cut you know that creative water starts uh coming out the creative juices if you will Unless the juices are really flat, right? <laughs> right? Like that's that's the issue. That's the issue. Um, okay, so I'm going to combine things for my second thing. It's technically a second and a third thing, but it's the same exact thing for two different comics, which is I did a final review for two comics of mine. The first one is for Animals Number 1 because I needed to time having the PDF done or at least having the work that goes into the book done Right around when the Kickstarter ends, because the Kickstarter has ended, and sure enough, we got our numbers in from Diamond today on Animals Number 1, so we need to send that to the printer really soon. So I had done a final review earlier in the week, just to make sure that everything looked good, etc., and um, in Animals Number 1's case, I thought everything was good. Like, I was really pleased with the way the story flows. I mean, it's a different kind of story. It's a different way to tell the story. There's a lot of abstract, kind of atmospheric, spooky painted images, and a lot of the propulsion of the plot comes through the dialogue and I'm okay with that and and the dialogue doesn't align with what's on the page sometimes and I thought that was cool I thought it was a neat way to try to tell a story for animals number one Um, but I while I was pleased with the way the story was there were a few balloons where uh, they weren't centered right like I didn't feel that the lettering was centered well within the balloons and um, I wanted to bring up this tip I'm sure everybody knows it but it's super helpful If you ever have questions on whether your lettering is lined up within your balloons, zoom out. Like if you're in Photoshop or uh, Illustrator or wherever, zoom out to like 12%, 15%, something where you can see the balloons and you can see the text, but they're nothing but shapes. And that way, by zooming out like that, you're really going to find that you you have a good uh, like, oh, that's not centered. That's a little high in the balloon. It's a little low in the balloon, etc. Yeah, that works for art as well. So if you have a question, if your art looks weird, um, one of the options always is to flip it, reverse it, uh, smack it down. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's smack it, smack it up, smack rub it, it down, flip right? Flip it like, and rub it down. Um, exactly. So if you if that doesn't work, um, <laughs> Scott can, saw me. Scott, I saw the excitement in your eyes. I saw the excitement. Goddamn, beat me to it. <laughs> Goddamn, beat me to it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can zoom out on your pieces as well, and that'll give you a better idea if things are proportionate or not. Um, and if it's digital art, you can easily flip your art on the screen. And like I was doing that right before the pod. So uh, yeah, it's a great tip. Zoom out. Yeah. <laughs> and smack it up and flip it and rub it down. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I can't. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, okay, so uh, we're still within my second point, actually, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, on that same note, I did a final review of Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two, which I really also wanted to get to the printer soon. Um, because there are long lead times from the printer, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get it in time for, you know, Phoenix Fan Fusion or any of that stuff at, at the beginning of June. Um, and I wanted to make sure it was right. And I wanted to make sure I sat on it long enough. So I did that one. And I did one of my favorite ways of reviewing a final comic these days, which is I just print it out and look at it. You know, I pr- drop it into Microsoft Word and then print the goddamn thing out or print it as a PDF and, you know, on notebook paper, that's close enough. And um, wow, did I make a ton of edits. A ton. Oh. Um, it, tur- it turned out that I didn't feel like, I didn't feel the story flowed. You know, I didn't feel the dialogue flowed. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dare to kind of rhyme off the dome with this, where you can have character one say something like, are we okay to go forward? And then character two says... I don't think so, Captain. And then character three is like, you know, why? And then character four maybe says something like, I have a concern with the calibration. Okay? What what my dialogue, I think, was doing was the equivalent of going one to four. Are we ready to go? I have a concern with the calibration. Oh, was it so, like the staggering of the balloons that was causing that? I, I felt that the dialogue itself, like... Look, what I just did there in my off-the-dome example, I think, was eliminate unnecessary dialogue. I don't think you need that. I think in my example I just gave, it worked. Okay. But when when done wrong, it can be kind of disjointed and choppy, and you, you, you often feel like there is missing interstitial dialogue in there that you should have had, like, said, like, that doesn't make sense. We kind of got here quickly. And I had done that a lot. I think in my effort to really make the dialogue move with everything being meaningful. I think I got rid of a little bit too much of that that middle-level dialogue that you need to really understand what the fuck is going on, you know? So I ended up... I'm, I'm just going to say randomly, I mean, if we're talking, you know, 20-some, 22 pages with let's go with 8 to 10 dialogue balloons on a page, so that's a good solid 160 you know, dialogue balloons, whatever, something like that. I probably edited 40 of them. Like, it was a huge amount. And I changed a lot of dialogue. And I feel that the final result is really good. I feel like it flows better. Um, And yeah, I I feel like I just sort of moved around a little too much. And in a lot of cases, I put in some of that middle dialogue. So the whole thing kind of flowed more from top to bottom instead of kind of going back and forth in a dialogue pattern. Oh, right on. Cool. And then do you like yeah. run that by Mike before you uh, send it in or? Nah, I mean, Mike, Mike approves the script. Um, that's about it. You know, okay. um, once generally the way it works with Mike is the script is where the heavy scrutiny comes in. And then after that, you sort of, 
you know, you're you're on your own to to do the lettering and stuff oh, okay. like that. Right so you know, uh, odds are this is probably more in line with the original script I sent because you know I can I can edit it while I letter and uh, and yeah. So what I felt, I mean, the important thing too is that the 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 point of the story is still being conveyed. So I liked this way more. I thought it flowed a lot better. And uh, and yeah, and I'll have the books in my hand in about a month because I sent it off. I got the proof from the printer. I proved that this morning. And uh, now I just got to wait four plus weeks for that thing to come right back to me. Um, oh, a, yeah. a box of them. Yeah, and then uh, then it'll be, you know, shipping Kickstarters and all that fun stuff. Right on. And you did the Making Comics uh, tier as well? I did. I did. I finally figured out some fucking dialogue to put in that uh, pinup. So I was pleased with that. It was, I, I did take your advice. I think you did kind of unlock the fact that you were like, well, they could talk to each other. Yep. And so I did have one person say something and then it was basically just two dialogue balloons. So it's sort of a gag on each side. It's really quick. It's goofy. But, uh, you know, something I don't do enough is be goofy. And uh, there's nothing wrong with being goofy every now and, and that sure as fuck was not a serious image. So... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the situation. I mean, that's what you and that's what people are signing up for with the making pod making comics podcast here. You know, you you want to lighten up a little bit. You want to have it be a, a little bit more fun with a with a cool homage com- cover and something goofy on the inside that ties back to the podcast somehow. Yeah. Um you know, I've I've actually become very digital reliant uh with a lot of the process that I do. Like I have very few handwritten things that I do in my comics process now. And one of those things is the the proof, you know, like of, of so what will happen is I'll have uh, Emily Rocha from the Accidental Alien. She's doing my PDFs now. And so I'll have her whip up a couple of PDFs and like, hey, I'm going to need a couple from you. You know, like I want one to go over, over and over and over. And then I'll send you the final one and that'll be it. Right. So I'll do that. I'll pop that into my comics reader app on my iPad. And uh, I'll send a copy to Ed as well. And we'll just read it. Like, I think I read the the proof at least 10 times. And, mm-hmm. and just, just front to back, just over and over. Or, like, not back to back to back to back. You know, I'll give it some breathing yeah. room. I'll read it like, okay, yep. I'll read it at the beginning of the day. I'll read it at the end of the day, maybe the middle. Um, all depends on what I'm doing that day. And uh, once I feel like we've gone over it enough... And I'm like, yeah, this this seems good. I don't see anything. Do you see anything? No. Okay. All right. Let's let's rock yeah. and roll. And like even doing free comic book day or any conventions, I used to have paper. Um, I used to handwrite every time I would do a sell. I had like kind of spreadsheet that I would print out, and then I would put check marks or you know like tick marks next to it, you know, to indicate yeah. the sale. And I've gone away from that because one day I just forgot it, and I was like, shit. Well, I have my phone. Let me just write it down in my phone. I found that to be more useful for me. I'm like, well, I always have my yeah. phone. I always have a battery charger for it. So it's, you know, it's going to be good. Um, so, yeah, kind of like all of my process is now digital, you know, even drawing. Drawing is also on the same iPad that I, uh, you know, read the proof on. So it, it's yeah. screen, screen, screens for me. You know, I, the, I don't yeah. know if that's good or bad, but that's just where I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wanted to mention one thing, too, which is, you know, I just went through what you were talking about with the proof, just going over it and over it and over it and over it. And um, a a, a nice tactic to use, because what you what's going to happen is most likely you're going to be blind to something because you're just so fucking used to it. You know, the the hardest part when you're continually going over your proofs at the end of this process is having fresh eyes. So something that works really well, go back to front instead. Go bottom to top, back to front. 
you know? And then that way it's like, look, you knew I could flip it, but did you know I could smack it up and rub it down too? <laughs> right? It's it's important. Like, like uh, you know. All of those steps. Very important. All all those steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think anything you can do to just change that that locked inness that you have from reviewing your proof and sometimes hey sometimes printing it out sometimes going back to front bottom to top it helps it, it's going to help you catch something that's hiding in plain sight in front of you you can also read all your dialogue out loud which is a a huge adage of writing at at any level read your shit out loud it's amazing how different it sounds out loud and it needs to sound good out loud if it doesn't sound good out loud it should not be on the page yeah. Um, and then also having that editor always helps, you know, like, so we'll get that PDF ready yeah. and then I'll shoot that over to Mike and, you know, like have him give it another once over before we finalize. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get all set that way. Um, so my next thing is I did a second shift trading card. So that was one of the stretch goals for my Kickstarter that was unlocked. And I'm, I'm actually really excited about this. Um it's very cool to have trading cards of your characters. And so the very first one that I'm doing, it's uh, Sarah or Spree from Second Shift. And uh, so she's card number one. And I did a bit of a homage style with the, the card treatment, um, but not 100%. You know, like I sent it over to uh, my buddy Steve Whistler Jr., a friend of the pod. And um, he was uh, he was like, that's really cool. I was kind of hoping it was going to be a retro style card though. And I was like, Oh, but Steve, it is. And he's looking at it and he goes, what am I missing? And then I, I sent him um, a, a picture I had taken of my card next to it's the Jim Lee X-Men trading card set. And so what I had done was I took elements of those cards, but I did not, completely uh, remake it I did not I didn't do a one for one like I took the shape of it and I I altered it a little bit and uh, made it its own colorways and so he didn't notice it right away and that's kind of what I was going for it's just like hey if you're a diehard fan of those cards you'll you'll see the elements um, but he actually had to go look it up and like compare and he goes oh I can totally see it now he goes I remember it differently in my head so I didn't even realize you were doing it and I was like that's kind of the point you know I added other elements to it I changed elements to it and that way I kind of make it my own but still kind of have that homage there in the background and uh, so for me it's the perfect balance of it and um, I really like the back of the trading card. The back of the trading card is the thing that I was working on today. And that's really fun going through like the power sets, like how strong they are in certain categories and stuff like that. Mm. So that, that was really fun to do. And uh, yeah, so that card is done. And uh, I sent, I started that a few days ago. And that was actually the, the first piece of art that I was doing that was after the Kickstarter. That was the one that was kind of like, okay, initially this is kind of tough. I don't know if I like this. And I kept working it and working it. And before you know it, I was like, yeah, I'm into this. I think this looks pretty good. And so that's where the floodgates started opening up. And uh, I had, you know, finished the pencils, inks, flatted it, sent it over to Joaquin. He got it back to me two days later. And uh, I've been working on the, you know, the, the treatment of the cards, the front and the back for the last couple of days. And just super fun, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting those back and then sending them out to people. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's... Look, you packed a lot of work there. 
um, in a short period. So that's that's very cool. And uh, and yeah, that sounds like the beginning of something that's going to be part of uh, future projects and Kickstarters and, and all that. Yeah, as totally. Well. Every issue of Second Shift that ha- hits the stretch goal, I'm going to do one. And then if we hit multiple stretch goals, I'll do a second one for that same issue. You know, like mm. I would love to get more of these cards out. So, you know, if we can keep hitting stretch goals in Kickstarters, then I'll do more. But, you know, at this time, it's like, okay, well, I'll do one at a time. You know, it's just like, hey, we're on the lower end of the Kickstarters. You know, it's just like we're not doing like 10,000 or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we're hitting, it's like, hey, you know, I'll give you one of these. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. So, um, yeah, it's working out. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I don't really have anything else this week. I don't know if you do. Okay. Yeah, I got one more. I'll I'll bang this one out pretty quick. Um, I sent orders for... uh, So, okay. I have a couple of things. As far as the Kickstarter goes, those metal bookmarks, it's for a different company than where I do my printing. Um, So I sent them out to that company and they haven't responded. So hopefully they'll be able to get them to me by the end of the month. And uh, the trading cards is now done and so i just need to put the order in for the trading cards the variant covers and the kickstarter exclusive prints to my printer um since i had that debacle unfortunately with the variants previously so i have to put the reorder in i gotta talk to him like where we're falling on who's paying for what regarding that um since it seems like it was an error on both of our ends to a degree um Mm -hmm. so we just have to have that conversation to see what's what and uh, yeah, so I'm going to be putting that order in tomorrow and uh, all the Kickstarter stuff will be in order. Like everything will be off and running. And I do have one other thing that I'm doing that I already put the order in. So I'm doing a book slipcase and I might have talked about this on the pod before. I did one part of it. I figured, hey, if I do a slipcase for my books at this size, you can stick all of the single issues into it and throw it on a bookshelf. You can be able to find my mm-hmm. books on the bookshelf. Well, when I got those things in, they were essentially cardstock paper. It was not mm-hmm. thick enough to hold uh, your books on the shelf. It would be like warped, like sagging off to the side. Eventually, the thing would probably rip or something like that. It is laminated, yeah. so it would probably hold together pretty well, but it wouldn't look good. And so I just didn't feel right offering that on this kickstarter i'm like it just it's not worth selling just like that um Mm -hmm. so i had gotten a box set in from the person that i heard about this website from uh this company and it was a kickstarter that i had backed and i said hey um i see that you're offering this box set the slipcase. i want to do one can i get their contact info so that's how i found him well that guy's kickstarter came in and his box set was dope as fuck. Like, he, he had, like, a hard cardboard. And mm-hmm. I sent them photos, that company. I sent them photos. I said, hey, I want this done. So how much is this? So we've been in communication. Um, I got a good price point, And I just matched the order, same amount as last time. And then so this will be the interior piece. And the previous piece will be the exterior piece of the slipcase. So, um you know, all said and done, I'm going to stick it up on the next Kickstarter just as like part of the package. It'll be part of the tier. And then you can always add it on uh, if you don't select that particular tier. So I'm excited to get them done. It's just the one thing that causes an issue is storage space. So I already have one box of those and now I'm going to have a second box and it's going to eat up so much, so much area that I'm probably gonna have to stick them in storage. So um, whoever backs them on the next Kickstarter, I'll send those out. I'll have a few here at home, but the rest is going into storage. It just takes up way too yeah. much space. I hear you, man. I hear you. 
Um, all right. Hey, that's cool. That's cool. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's a good amount of creative thinking to get what you wanted in the end. And, uh, you know, you, Hey, sometimes you got to work hard to get the thing you thought you were getting at the beginning. Right. And that was actually one of the stretch goals. It was the last stretch goal that I was trying to hit. Um, I think we were like 600 bucks away from it. And if we hit that 600, everyone just would have got it for free. Whoever had a physical Mm. tier, they would have just got it for free. So I raised enough to go like, hey, I have some money for myself. But hey, you know me. It's just all about the creative process and like making cool shit. And so I'd rather take that money and put it back into the books and into the project. And so it's just something else I'll have to have up on the next Kickstarter. So I was I was glad to do it on my own. It's just now people are going to have to pay for it. So um, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Right on. Okay. All right. So that's the stuff we did for the week. Uh, so now we're going on to the main topic. So this week's topic is choosing simplicity. Uh, unsure writers use fancy language and jargon. Yeah. Keith, what do we got? <laughs> You're like, that's your cue, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I suggested this topic. And it came from, it started with this podcast I like listening to called Plain English. And I think this is a dude who writes maybe for the, the Athletic, or no, not the Athletic. Um, there's another one like that. The, I don't know, the New Yorker or some sh- The Atlantic. The Atlantic. I'm silly. He writes for The Atlantic. And... The cool thing about his podcast is it is exactly as advertised. He explains complex concepts with simple words. Oh. And for me, that has always been, you know, like like I have been saying for decades that my definition of intelligence is being able to take complex concepts and explain them with words that any sixth grader can understand. You know, maybe even every any fourth grader can understand. And it can be done. It can be done. And so I, I there are a couple sub points I had here that I wanted to talk about as they applied to comics. Scott talks about, just mentioned the first one, which was this idea of how the more confident you are, I think the less slang and jargon you use. Um, slang and jargon can be the kind of thing, like when I see stuff that has a lot of slang and a lot of jargon... That tells me that the writer is trying just a little bit too hard to make themselves sound like smart or well-educated or well-researched, which that's those three things are kind of synonyms, right? And jargon is helpful, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with including some jargon in there to make sure something sounds authentic. But what you don't want to do is use so much jargon or enough jargon to where it it gets jargony right like like we get it you can you can place a few pl- things in there that deliver the point you're trying to do but that doesn't mean you need to get all fancy into jargon and um you know the goal is to have everybody understand this and and to have everybody like it and and want to read more of it so slang and jargon is good but overusing slang and jargon is a problem and as far as I can tell, and Scott, you can correct me if I'm if I'm missing anything, but I think there are two areas where this can go off the rails. I think one is for people who use any kind of military references, right? You don't you don't want to go too hardcore into military terminology if you can help it. Um, that's my opinion because you want it to re- be readable to everybody. So again, are are a few important 
military terms like helpful to make your comic better? Of course they are. But let's not go too too deep down into that. So science fiction is the spot where this can really go off the rails. There is a certain joy in reading a lot of science fiction from the 1950s, 1960s, and 1970s. But what I have found on the whole is that it tends to fall way too much into like jargon or the names of alien races or the names of people, and it just gets you lost in the story. You can't hook into anything because people are so obsessed with saying, you know, the the Narlantha were there with their Uklanas, you know, at, at the at the Navarda. And you're like, what the fuck, man? Like, if if people are there with their weapons at the temple, can you just say, you know, this this name of people were at at the temple with their weapons instead of getting so bent on fancy terms and jargon, you know, you hey, you've created this world, but like you haven't grounded it in anything. Yeah. Like when you have those things, it's best to ground it in words that we can understand as brand new to your world that you've created. You know, yeah. like, okay, they showed up at the temple with their weapons, the Ukuklana. Okay, so now we understand their weapons are called the Ukuklana, unless that was the people's yeah. names, whatever the case is, right? Sure. So, All but, good, man. Yeah, so you got to speak about it in a way that we understand, and then we can dissect it. We're not, we didn't get transported to this world and are, like, trying to learn the language as we get there, it's just like, no, you have to hold our hand a little bit in this because yes. you want us to keep reading, right? Like if, if this yeah. becomes too difficult to read, then we're going to drop off. It's just not going to be of interest to a large majority of people. You have a certain percentage that kind of want to dig through it with you and kind of get get where you're trying to go. But I think the appeal, the hopes is when you're making a project, you're making a book or whatever – the hope is you're getting the majority of the audience and you can pull them in and, um, you know, not not isolate them so much. And like totally. going, going, I'm sorry, going back to uh, the military stuff, like something that I did previously for Second Shift 11, um, I had a military scene. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was like some soldiers in the battle and the and the villain was there and he was tearing through him. And I have a buddy that's in the military. So I was just like, hey, man, um, I want him to say some shit and I want it to sound right. Um, yep. You know, but I also want it to be uh, not conversational is not the right word because they're in the midst of a battle. Um, so yeah. but I, I wanted I want them to still sound human. But yet. Yeah you know, making sure there's some military terms in there. And I was like, hey, look, they're getting the shit kicked out of them. Like they're getting shot at, they're dying or whatever. What would you say in a situation like this? If you got on the mic, um, you know, with your commanders, what <laughs> what beats would you, you drop? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. So what if, dope rhymes would you would you give the people? <laughs> um, would you go straight into Beastie Boys? What are you what are you looking for? Um, exactly. so, or is it Eric B. and Rakim? Does the battle call for Eric B. and Rakim? Who knows? Like it's really appropriate. It's, it's it's very important to know which is appropriate in which battle. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I talked to him and I was are like, you, you licensed know, to ill or are you not sweating the technique? Sorry, I'm going <laughs> to let never it go sweat. after this. Well, you never sweat the technique. No, you don't. Exactly. Um, yeah, That's obvious. So, yeah, it, to everyone. And so, you know, I asked him, I was just like, what would you say in a situation like this? And he, he gave me some examples. He goes, look, you can go this route, which is kind of kind of universal. And he, he's like, mm -hmm. or you can go this route, which is a little more inside baseball. Um, and I was like, 
fuck it, let's go inside baseball, you know? And, and, yeah. and it's just, it wasn't all over the place. It was just in this particular scene, you know, this one bit yeah. of dialogue. And it was enough. For me, it was enough. It's like, just have a little bit. You just have a little taste of it. And then you can move yeah. away from it and make them just sound like people, you know, and add some yeses and some yes sirs and, and shit like that. And you're yep. good to go, you know? Have a little bit. Don't make it so overwhelming where it's a turnoff for the large majority of the audience who isn't in that world and won't know all of the terms. To give them a little bit. And then, then go away from it. Yeah, but let's let's test my memory. If I remember right from that exact example, the military term that was specific was snafu, which which has a lot of appeal to the common world. And it was something like this is a you know uh, it retreat, was retreat. And this is a snafu, and yeah, I and, think those and, were the again, two I'm, options. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and it was like, this is a goddamn slaughter or something like that. I think after that, you just used plain English again, you know, which is good. So, yeah, I mean, I to me, that actually checks the box for like calibrated against, you know, some degree of jargon, but not overdoing the jargon, you know. So um, so anyway, that that's not even the main thing I wanted to talk about. But I think it's very helpful. I think it's helpful in terms of the details when you get into this stuff for authenticity. Um, and what I want to talk about, actually, is not just simplicity of the dialogue itself, but simplicity of your story. This is something that I run into a little too much on the other side, but I think it's helpful to everybody. Just remember that when in doubt, cutting is an option. If you're sitting there looking at a story and you're wondering why it doesn't work, at least consider the idea of cutting stuff. I may have mentioned this before. I, I kind of feel like I, I have, like just in terms of repeating myself, so I apologize if I have. My debut novel, my first novel, not a debut yet, but I'm shopping it, 68,000 words. I believe I cut at least 100,000 words to get to that 68. Oh, cut, sure. cut, cut, cut. If I had to guess, it would be between 100,000 and 120,000 words that I cut. So I basically cut 1.5 to 2 times the novel to get the novel. Um, what was I just talking about with Kadoja Volume 2? This huge amount of cutting and reworking that you do, right? So in that case, it wasn't just cut, cut, cutting. But I think the overall word count was lower in Kadoja Volume 2, number or Volume 4, Number 2, Symphony of Madness. Um, it was It's overall lower than it used to be because cutting does make things cleaner and it's more simple. And you're challenging yourself to say the same thing, but with fewer words. So I think not just in terms of the... You know, the, the specific things we're talking about that might apply to you if you're writing a military type story, if you're writing a science fiction type story, or maybe a few others that we can't think of, right? But I think the overall, you know, the, the most powerful place to choose simplicity is the story itself. Because I know that in my first novel, if you looked at what my earlier drafts were, it was so much more convoluted than it was. And all I did was cut, 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 simplify, 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 and get it to the final place it was. That's also what I ended up doing in Three Protectors. You know, anybody out there who backed the Three Protectors Kickstarter... I probably sent you an ash can that had the cut scenes from three protectors. And when you read those things and I, and I set them up in the, in the ash can, you will see that it was meant to be a much more dense convoluted story than it was. It ended up coming out kind of slam bang, 
you know, the the pitch, right? 70s Kung Fu, but in space. But it was not originally designed that way. It was designed to be a little bit headier with like levels of intellectual back and forth between between different groups. And um, that didn't work for the story. So the best thing to do was just cut it. And that's what we ended up with. You talking about uh, Symphony of Madness number two in cutting stuff, it reminded me like you can go the other way too. And I think that's always been mine and Ed's philosophy with comics is we don't like to do a lot of handholding. So a lot of times we leave dialogue out because we want people to look at the story as well as read the story. And we want them to go like infer from what they're looking at, like, oh, this is what they mean, or oh, I see this undercurrent of this. And, you know, working with Mike, it was like, we're doing it too much, you know, so there is Mm -hmm. a fine balance of cutting too much and leaving too much for your reader's imagination. You do have to find that nice middle ground. And honestly, it's a hard thing to do. So it's just a matter of time before you start getting it, you know, and after talking to Mike, like I was like, okay, I I see what he's saying. And I, I know how much more we have to add. And, you know, that's, we've been doing it a while. So I don't know how hard that would have came if, we got to Mike a lot earlier, like in our comics career, like maybe it would have been a little more difficult to figure out. Maybe it wouldn't have, maybe it would have made just as much sense then. Um, but that's also something you have to think about. Like don't cut too much to the point where like, like you were saying, you, you think you cut a little too much. You cut the, the middle, the middle dialogue that kind of like, like somewhere beyond, you know, short dialogue and a very complicated dialogue. You have that middle And so you have to know how much of it you actually need in order for this to make sense to everyone. Yeah, I, I, I I do agree with that on the whole, but I would also offer a a amendment to that, which is I could make the argument that it's, it's pruning trees right now. It's that you're cutting the nonsense so that you can add more good stuff in, right? Like, odds are you did not add back the stuff that you would cut. You put something new in. And if that's the case, then what you're really doing is pruning the trees in the bad place so that you can make them grow in the good place. And that's also okay. It's all part of the editing process. Um, I think with Symphony of Madness number 2, there was a lot of that. I, I think Symphony of Madness number 2 actually was a little bit more of putting back some of that, but phrased better, putting back some of the stuff I cut. But in a lot of cases, when I cut stuff, you're cutting it so that you can then reevaluate the story and say, does anything need to be added? And like you just mentioned with Mike, like oftentimes you will need to add stuff, but on the whole, you're going to add new stuff more often than you're just going to add back something you had before, you know? So I I think in the overall thing, it's great. This is all part of the editing process. Sometimes simplicity ends up working in the long run, and sometimes you end up needing to add a little bit more back in. But on the whole, cutting the stuff that you think you should cut is probably... Oh, no, totally. No, that, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if I conveyed that wrong. It wasn't... It wasn't that uh, um, there was stuff we took out because it was bad. It was stuff like, I, I always think, is this a little handholdy? Mm-hmm. You know, when I read something, I'll, I'll ask it. I'm like, do we need this part? Is that a little handholdy? Like, 
you know, like for instance, in uh, Second Shift 13, um, there's two guys chasing this new character, and the dialogue is she does a front flip over a fence, and the guy says, "Oh crap, she she just jumped over the fence," and it was like, "Do we need yeah. that?" Because because yeah. visually it's right there. We don't need like. Do we need to say she jumps right. over the fence or you just watched her jump over a fence. or do do yeah, yeah. or yeah. did the audience just see her do it right and then I really know, like it, that fence. <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was a uh, you know it was one of those things where it's just like hey this this hedge could be pruned right here like like we it's already doing the work that the the visual is already doing the work that the writing is trying to do it's like there's no need yep. to do that you know it's kind of like the old school stan and jack method where jack would draw you know like these bank robbers robbing the bank and then spider-man goes hey those guys robbed the bank it's like yeah they're, they're running away with the bag of money like we we, yeah, we exactly. see that no shit asshole yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, so, to, quote, to quote the great scott loss no shit asshole <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it was just one of those things where uh, you got to make sure you're not repeating yourself too much. And, and uh, yes. you know, you're working in concert. The words are working in concert with the art. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know yeah. we sort of meandered there, but I think the core point holds right. Like we're not guaranteeing simpler is better. We're just here to remind you that sometimes simpler is better. And don't be afraid to use that tool in your toolbox and evaluate it as a possible way out of a situation where you don't think something quite works or other people don't think something quite works. And don't be so in love with your own words. Um, you know, that's yep. that's something that can be an issue with certain creatives. Um, they're so in love with their work, they're unwilling to hear where, hey, I think this is a little repetitive or I think we don't need this. And that can be on both sides. That could be the art or the writing um, so just make sure you guys are being level-headed about it when you're going through the process and just, uh, keep an eye out for that stuff. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, I think we covered that pretty thoroughly. Um, you got any bullshit this week? Hmm. Did you get anything while you were at free comic book day? I know neither one of us went and got free comic books. Um, but did yeah. you get comic book comic books, uh, that you had to pay yeah, money yeah. for? I think, I think, uh, I can, I can kind of weave this into a couple things right um some comic books i bought and also a comic book i really want to recommend that i think i've recommended to you off the pod but is is worth recommending um which is art brute i think art brute is fantastic um it's by w maxwell prince who wrote ice cream man writes ice cream man and also did a great book a couple of years ago for Boom called King of Nowhere. He's probably done some other stuff that I need to look up. But Art Brute is super fun, very cool, and a very nice, like, fresh take on kind of like, you know, it's it's sort of like Sandman in that you have someone who sort of goes into an alternate realm, except that realm is the world of art. And it's about the art itself having its own realm and people traveling from painting to painting. It's just, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And I think W. Maxwell Prince is... Um, just very underrated these days in terms of uh, great modern writers. So I love that book and I wanted to at least mention that, that that is one of the few books on that and Phantom Road are probably the two where I look up to see if the new one's coming out this week. And if it is, uh, then that's settled. I'm going to the shop this week because I need to read that as soon as it comes out. Um, But in terms of books that I grabbed at Free Comic Book Day, yeah, I grabbed a lot of not free comic books. Um, And a couple of them were 
I, I, I'm a fan of the new Batman Adventures Continue book. It's, it's a great, it's a great book because it's in the vein of Batman the Animated Series. And more importantly, it's a three-act structure in one comic, which you just do not see that often these days. So I think from a enjoyment standpoint, I like it because I know that I can just pick any issue, read it, and I'm done at the end. I don't have to worry about, oh, what's going on in this series again? I don't have to worry about saving it. I don't have to worry about any of that shit. So I love the ability to just have a, you know a few comics, a comic in my rotation where I can just pick it up and read it and enjoy it. And then it's done and I get to bag and board it. And that's that. Um, so that's one book that I was able to fill some holes in my collection because I had issue one and I had issue four and I was able to grab two and three at SoCal Comics, which was super cool. Um, and then I I think I had a book or two that you recommended to me, but I haven't read them yet, so I can't talk about them. Um, and a few reprints, like, you know, I don't know, they reprinted X-Men 1, which I thought was cool. They reprinted Batman 181, which is cool. Um, that, was a, that was a neat thing to have, so those are both in my collection now, which I like. And then I also tracked down a single issue of Fantastic Four versus X-Men, which was an old, I don't know, 80s series or something like that. So I'm going to read, I think I got issue three because it was in the dollar bin. And that was good enough for me. Hey, a, a dollar's for me. So I just need to read that and then decide whether I want to track down the other issues or not. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, I think that kind of sums up. Like, I haven't really, I haven't really bought anything on eBay because nothing's moved me um, in any kind of way. I mean, uh, you know, there's comics that are on my want list, but none of them have fallen into that sweet spot of price at the moment where I feel like I just have to act on them. Yeah, that's been you? my that's been my eBay experience lately too. Um, I've gotten a couple of good things. Ryan Otley posted on his Instagram like a book he had done, like it was his first published work, and I was able to track down a copy on eBay, and it was like twenty bucks. And then another one popped up because it was still on my watch list, and it was another version, and I saw his name in the credits as well, so I picked that up, and that was even cheaper. It was like, it was two bucks. Oh, it was like a buck fifty or something like that, two bucks and like five bucks shipping. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that too. Um, sure. So I, got, I grabbed those things, but yeah, like it's mostly stuff I've been picking up at the comic store. Um, Art Brute, I did have issue one. So when you recommended it, I was like, oh shit, I forgot to pick up the rest of that series. Unfortunately, by the time I got to SoCal, all they had was issue three and four, and both of them were jacked to shit. And I was like, mm. I, in good conscience, I can't grab those books. They're just too beat up. Yeah. So um, if you have them in your shop, uh, grab them for me. No, I'll pay you back, of course. Um, and I'm trying to think of uh, one of the books that I recommended to you, and I believe you picked up issue one, was Local Man. Yeah. And um, that book is fantastic. I just read the latest issue. And it's just such a cool idea for a property. You know, it's this um, out-of-work 90s superhero. He gets kicked out of his group, but it's a flip book. So one side is the 90s adventure, and it's drawn essentially like a uh, a bad version of a Rob Liefeld Extreme Studios book um, intentionally. And then the other side is a modern time, him, his life after being a 90s superhero. So it's a really mm. cool idea. It's an amazing idea on how to use a flip book. And so I can't recommend that book enough. So if you guys haven't read it, pick it up. Local Man, it's Image Comics. 
Um, I like the fact that the inside credits looks like the credit page of the old 90s image. Like, he did everything um, to make it look like a 90s comic. And it's just, it's a really fun idea. You know, initially I thought it was... uh, essentially making fun of 90s comics. That's why I didn't pick it up when I saw it in the store, but then someone recommended it to me. And um, it's it's more of an homage to 90s comics. It's, it's not making fun of it. It's homaging it and, and uh, like, painting it in this certain light, which is which is kind of cool. It's almost a commentary on those who grew up with it. Like when you're yeah. in in the world of the nineties comics, like it's just this big bombastic world, you know, tits, guns, shoulder pads, you know, all this stuff. Right. And then years later when you're a grown up, it's just this quieter life. That's way different. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of awesome. Like I really love that book. Yeah, man. That's cool. That's cool. I'm trying to think, I mean, I don't know, man, I, I, I in terms of books, I read a really cool book. I mean, hey, Emily St. John Mandel comes through again. Um, I read a book of hers called The Lola Quartet that I thought was fantastic. So now we're up to four books of hers. Basically, four books of hers I think are awesome. And the fifth that I have read I think is quite good. So we're just going to go with like four nines and higher and one seven, which is a fucking amazing resume. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah, that I mean, for what it's worth, um, if people like that, if you're into that sort of thing, like we just said, then I would say, uh, yeah, man, Emily St. John Mandel. She she also does. I'm not going to say what it is, but if you read her books, you'll see that there's a thing she does that may have actually opened up a way that I can change the telling of my second novel. And um, so I'm, I'm writing my second novel a certain way. But once I get to writing a lot of this first draft, I have an idea on something to do with it that may fall in line with something that I see from a craft perspective that Emily St. John Mandel does with basically every novel she writes. And uh, of course, hey, if you want to hit me up privately through um, the Making Comics podcast Gmail or you want to hit me up uh, on on the socials, I'm happy to share it. I'm just not going to blab it on the podcast because that's who I be. I actually I'm looking at the books that I've done. I've taken photos. I've been meaning them to upload. I've been meaning to upload them to my Instagram. I just haven't been doing it. So I completely forgot, that, or I just didn't know that I didn't finish Eight Billion Genies from Image Comics. Mm. Um, and I saw them on the stands at SoCal uh, by Charles Soule and Ryan Brown. And I saw seven and eight on the stands, and I'm like, I don't even remember how the story ended. And I picked it up. I picked up eight and I flipped to the first page and I'm all, I don't remember this at all. So I, okay. I threw those in my pull list. I went home and I saw that I had up until six. So I was like, oh, nice. perfect. I need seven and eight. So I actually finished the story. It was a great story. Start to finish. I really enjoyed it. If you guys haven't read Eight Billion Genies, it's highly recommended. A uh, great finish to that book. And uh, another book that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying is The Ambassadors. That's by Mark Miller, an assortment of artists, like killer artists, like a death row of artists. Um, Travis Charre, Olivier Coipel, um, who else is on that book? There's just tons of artists on there that are completely amazing, and you should definitely pick that up. And then, of course, I finished Plush uh, by Doug Wagner and uh, Daniel Hilliard, uh, two of my favorite creators. And uh, yeah, man, I think those are the only books that I want to recommend. There's other stuff that I'm reading and they're good, but they're not like recommendation worthy. I think they're fine and I'm willing to read a second issue of them, but not worth mentioning at this point, I don't think. 
Yep. And while you were talking, I went over to my recently read box just to see if there's anything I missed. But there isn't. You know, I'm I'm comfortable with the picks I made. Like you said, everything else is like pretty good. But that doesn't mean I just want to recommend it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just saw another one. Junkyard Joe. It is uh, by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I'm a huge Gary Frank guy. I do love Jeff Johns. And so you should check that out if you're into military style storytelling um, mixed with cartooning uh, like literal like Sunday cartoon stuff like it's a really yeah. cool book another book is Clear and that's Scott Snyder and Francis Manipole I might have mentioned that one before and that one's really interesting it's kind of like um, Ready Player One almost to mm-hmm. a degree um, okay. mixed with shit what was that what was that Sean Gordon Murphy book where everyone was obsessed with technology crap i forgot it um it was like a commentary basically on technology and how we're so obsessed with it it's basically ruining our lives um Hmm. yeah it's kind of that version everyone has a it's called i think it's called a shade where you you use it and you see the world almost like a video game or like whatever you want to see the world as if you don't want to see the death destruction and stuff you could turn everyone into puppies and oh i see a veil veil that's what it is not a shade it's a veil um that's a different scott snyder book so um yeah it's it's really interesting it's kind of like um blade runner it's kind of like Blade Runner. It has a very Blade Runner vibe to it, mixed with the Ready okay. Player One. So uh, that one's really cool. That one's a dark horse. Nice, dude. Yeah, right on. All right. Well, hey, I think we're at the end of the pod. So um, High Water Brewing, Break Apart Orange Cream Ale. I give this a seven. It was good. Um, I don't know that I would recommend it to a whole bunch of people, but it was solid. I enjoyed the whole can. And, uh, yeah, that's a seven, solid seven. Okay. Yeah. Nordic Noir Baltic Porter by Cerebral Brewing. I give a five and a half. I think it was, it was fine. I bought two and I can't say I'm excited for the second. Like at some point, at some point I'll drink it because it's 10% alcohol and it's a 16 ounce, you know, 16.9 ounce can. And that's good. But odds are I'm going to need that bad boy to be really cold when i do that yeah i was gonna say fuck it bring it to bring it to phoenix i'll drink it okay yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to deal with yeah. it uh, yeah, we'll, like we a... won't have it warm this time yeah yeah well we we don't think so but yeah we, we should be actually we should choice. be okay we should be okay um oh and and hey that's that's a great segue into the fact that you know we still have one more podcast before this happens but this podcast is going to air on may 22nd and if you are in the Phoenix area or plan on going to the Phoenix area. Um, so let's let's get out on this. Um, Scott and I are going to be, well, Scott is going to be at Phoenix Fan Fusion along with the uh, esteemed Gary Hodges from Friday, June 2nd to Sunday, June 4th. Your boy Keith is going to be there Friday, June 2nd and Saturday, June 3rd for most of the day. Why, you may ask, why would I not do a Sunday? Because I am then flying back home to do the Sunday of Monster Palooza, which is the same weekend. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast, so apologies if I am uh, repeating myself. But Phoenix Fan Fusion is always on Memorial Day, except for this year. 
And by them moving back a week to the first week of June, they created a conflict with Monster Palooza for me. So for this year, I am actually doing both of those shows, or at least um, what I have is on the first couple days of Monster Palooza, I will have a table, but a family member is going to be working that booth for me. Um, so feel free to stop by, but I'm basically doing two shows one weekend. And, um, and hey, we're again, we're up on it. So if you are in uh, Arizona or the Arizona area, then just know that uh, you've got some friends there waiting for you at table A915S, if I remember right. Um, that is that is your your handsome, esteemed gentlemen, Scott, Keith, and Gary. And then uh, if you're in Southern California and you're, you love horror or giant monsters or monsters or makeup, then just know that uh, you've got a friend there waiting for you at Monster Palooza as well. Right on. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll do the best of our ability to answer those questions, those comments, or those concerns. Yeah, and then in terms of me, you can follow me at Keith underscore Invader on Instagram. Uh, I'm I'm back to actually posting, or at least I'm going to start tomorrow after a day off, of posting stuff about my life again instead of nonstop Animals Kickstarter stuff. So, um, yeah, I'll be sharing whatever uh, books I'm reading, art from all my books, and uh, stuff from the podcast or cool quotes that I like, etc. And, of course, there is also KeithRFoster.com where you can check out all my books. I'm going to put a pre-order up soon for animals, which is animals get infected by a contagious virus that makes them want to hunt down and murder humans. And then, of course, there is Kadoja, which is giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in space. That is all at KeithRFoster.com. And if you want to pick up my books, you can go to AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Workers by Day, Superheroes by Night, Wanders Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, and of course the Accidental Alien Anthologies uh, 2017, 18, and 19 are all there digitally. Um, you can only get 18 and 19 physically, and I'm also in Tales of the Mothership. So pick up those books at AccidentalAliens.com, and you could find me on social medias at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, and hey, to quote Belle Bib DeVoe, smack it up, flip it, rub it down. Oh no, I got to give the Making Comics podcast five stars. And you know, look, if Bell Biv DeVoe said it, then you have to do it. Like, we're talking about an all-time dance floor classic here, Poison. I think I have mentioned to you that, like, that is the one song that is absolutely guaranteed to get me on a dance floor. Poison by <laughs> Bell Biv DeVoe. It is, it is my absolute number one lifetime sure shot that, like, I mean, I have been at, at you know debuts and parties and weddings and whatever and my wife and I can be sitting at a damn table just enjoying a glass of water or a fine beverage it's like poison comes on it's like woman we are getting up right and then and then before you know it I'm on that dance floor so hey you know Belle Biv DeVoe said it how could you not do it uh five stars on Apple Podcasts on Spotify Podcasts of course you can give us some words that'd be great it helps it really helps it helps like one review help spread the word and get this podcast in front of people because of those dreaded algorithm gods those those algorithm gods you can make work for you give us a great review and it, it helps spread the word and gets other creators um, into this wonderful thing we call comics if you guys haven't done it please do it um, we don't have 
the same amount of views as we do listeners. We know how many people listen to this podcast. It's a really good number. Like, yeah. it is a shockingly good number of people that listen to this podcast. So, uh, do your part. Back the Kickstarters. Leave us comments or uh, ratings and all of those things. Make sure you're doing yeah. them. One of them, at least. Uh, we duly appreciate that. Yeah, somehow, in a, in a weird twist of, of statistics, we actually have more listeners than there are people on planet Earth. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Like so, and and what's weird is our stats don't show other planets, but we know they're there, right? So it's like I guess the question is like we know what what other countries are listening to this podcast, but what other planets are listening to this podcast? And more importantly, do Scott and I need to promote Wanderers of Melisande and Three Protectors differently? Because that might be your home planet, for all I know. Like, we, we want to make sure that we're keeping it real on that. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. Go out there and <laughs> give us a good review. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> yay, yay. Yay.